Hello, and welcome to episode one of Pod is a Woman, an honest, unfiltered conversation about the current state of politics and pop culture from three veterans of the Obama White House. I'm one of your hosts, Alejandra Campoverdi. I'm a women's health advocate, CCO, LA native, and the proud daughter of an immigrant single mother from Mexico. In the White House, I served as deputy director of Hispanic Media. I'm Darian Page. I'm an Iraq War veteran, a community advocate, a Chicagoan, and your resident Pinterest mom. In the Obama White House, I was the director of Veterans, Wounded Wars, and Military Families Outreach, as well as the West Ring Receptionist, or RODIS, Receptionist of the United States. I'm Johanna Masca. I was raised by bedrock conservatives in Galesburg, Illinois, but went on to work with President Obama for eight years as his director, Press Advance, traveled to 42 countries, and I'm now a mom, a CEO, and... A wife. A wife. <laughs> you can't forget about the wife part, Johanna. CJ. Speaking of wives, we probably have one of the most famous wives joining us today for our first episode, and that is Dr. Jill Biden. Very excited to talk to her, especially right now when we're about to hear a VP pick. And so, you know, she talked to us about a lot of interesting things. I want to just jump right into it before we we toss to this interview. I just want to share, you know, obviously she talked about things that were important to her that her husband focused on if they do make it to the White House. But then we kind of went there and we talked about how a recent LA Times opinion piece compared the VP campaign trail to The Bachelor. You know, when I told her that they were talking about who deserves the rose as his running mate, she seemed pretty appalled. To trivialize the pick of the VP because it's a woman and to categorize it in a way like they did is disgusting. The idea of someone walking into the White House into the greatest recession since the Great Depression with the stakes that we have for our economy, the health of our nation, and the welfare of every person, and to say that that person is getting a rose? No, they are walking into a massive mess because of a lot of men. And it's a good thing we have a woman. And no matter which of the women that we've all been hearing, all the names being tossed around, Stacey Abrams, Kamala Harris, Susan Rice, no matter which of these women it is, there's one thing they all have in common, and it's not a rose, it's that they are tough as nails. And that's what we need. So let's just get right to it. I know that who you guys all want to hear from is Dr. Biden. So Darian, take it away. All right. Fantastic. Well, Dr. Biden, the last time you and I were together, we were at the Chicago Cultural Center talking about your book, Where the Light Enters. Uh And my goodness, you know, what a year it has been. (laughs) That's an understatement. (laughs) Very much so. How are you? How are the grandkids? Everybody's doing well, especially in this time of the pandemic. You know, we still see our grandkids, but of course, we're all masked. How are you doing with teaching? Ooh. Remote learning. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're going to raise up the profession, right? Because that's what everybody is saying that, oh my God, teaching is so hard. You know, it's not the same old idea like, oh, teachers get out at three, they have their summers off, it's an easy job. Now there's a newfound respect for educators and it's been a long time in coming. It's amazing. But talk about remote schooling. How are you guys dealing with this remote (laughs) campaign? Well, you know, I'm hoping that the heart comes across because we are doing this literally hours and hours and hours a day and like nine in the morning. And then, of course, you have to hit the West Coast. So a lot of our our Zooms start later at seven or eight o'clock. And, you know, 
they just keep going. So, um, but I think that people still see who you are and uh, get to hear through your voice and your actions, um, you know, that you're still the same person. You haven't changed. You know, Joe's still who he was forever and ever. So I hope that comes across. Well, speaking of being the same people and bringing heart and some levity to the campaign trail, this is completely unconventional. And I know one of the things that you and the vice president used to do is play pranks on one another on the campaign trail. And there's that great story of you popping out of the overhead compartment on Air Force Two. (laughs) Well, actually, I did one. um, Was it yesterday or the day before? (laughs) And I had a bouquet of flowers that was by my side. So I had one of those little action figures, you know, of Joe Biden. So I stuck him in the middle of the flowers because I wondered if anybody would notice as they were watching the Zoom and say, hey, isn't Joe in those flowers? So, um, you know, just keep it fun. I mean, you have to. So talking about balance, right, you know, between keeping the levity and being a working woman and obviously everything that you are dealing with in the campaign, you know, you recently have just shared that you've chosen to continue teaching at Northern Virginia Community College if you become first lady. Now, you have three ladies here on the pod that are full-time, have full-time jobs, two are moms, as well as the podcast. So we're no strangers to balancing. So I'm curious what led you to make that decision and the message you see that sending to women who are trying to balance it all? You know, I think I worked, as you all know, you know, when I was second lady and my career is really important to me. And so I thought, why wouldn't I continue to work? Because I could handle, I felt that I could balance um, having a full-time job and working as second lady. Now, if I have the honor of being first lady, I know it won't be a full-time job, but I think I have to be true to myself. And that's really important to me. So if I can find a way to teach, and I think actually in this time of the pandemic, I would have to teach virtually. And so it would be perfect because I wouldn't be going to Nova and I wouldn't need security. And I, you know, I could do it remotely. So why not? When I think about the White House, So after we won the election, I got on the inauguration team. And my job for inauguration was setting the stage for all of you in the peaceful transition of power to walk out together. And I'm sure you remember the way it happens. The presidents uh, walk out together. The vice presidents walk out together. And, of course, you were walking out with the Cheneys. And then you ride in the car to the Capitol. And at that moment... I mean, we had a financial crisis and you were walking into this massive uphill battle. What were you thinking? You know, I really had faith in Barack and Joe that they had a strategy, they had a plan. I felt that they were strong leaders and that they were going to solve this. And they did. I mean, they got right into office. They started the recovery plan. Uh, They brought jobs back to America. And so that's why I think this time in history is going to be similar because so many people are unemployed. And so jobs has to be the first thing. We have to get people back to work. Of course, we have to, you know, work on the pandemic and bring down the numbers and do it safely. But I mean, I feel that Joe really is perfectly suited for this time in history because he's already been through difficult times with an economy and he solved that problem. 
He's known for working both sides of the aisle successfully, and he wants to bring people together. And then, of course, you know, he knows what it's like if someone loses his or her job because his father lost his job when Joe was a child and had to move from Scranton to Wilmington, Delaware. So he knows that. He knows what it feels like for a parent to have to tell their child, I'm sorry, I can't pay for college for you. And he knows what it's like through certainly through tragedy and loss and with this pandemic and we've lost so many Americans. And so he knows what loss feels like. And I think that, you know, he'll have the empathy that he will understand really what people are going through and how hard this is. So I think for this moment in history, Joe Biden is perfectly suited to be president. And you bring up such a great point because it really does feel like we're on a precipice. And to your point, you know, Vice President Biden is going to be standing there and who's going to be standing by his side, right? And that's one of the big questions on everyone's yeah. mind. Everyone's talking about that a decision has already been made. That's what we're hearing. We obviously know it'll be a woman. I mean, uh, you think you're going to let me I mean, tell you? Uh, Dr. Biden, we're amongst friends right now. We go way back. Exactly. Just us girls, right? Well, Listen, I ran for Congress myself in 2017, so I know the different standard that women are held to in politics. So I'm really curious. You have a very unique vantage point because you've been through the VP selection process in the 08 campaign. You can speak to that intimately. And I'm curious, what are the differences you're seeing now in that process and the coverage given that now the shortlist is all women? Well, I think it's really exciting. I'm excited that Joe has decided on a woman. He's always believed in the strength of women. And, uh, you know, I think it's important that young girls know that women have a seat at the table and they deserve a seat at the table. And I think that's going to be just a really important part of, it's a, an historic moment, let's face it. And, uh, you know, we were part of history before, as were all of you, you know, in the Obama-Biden administration. So I'm really looking forward to the announcement and, you know, going forward. Well, and to your point, you know, what young women and girls see right now um, in the coverage and the messaging and everything is so important, you know, the way we see, you know, the futures that are available to us. Yes. And there's a recent opinion piece in the LA Times that I wanted to ask you about. It was titled, It's the Bachelor Campaign Trail, Which of Biden's Veep Candidates Deserve the Rose? which was obviously a framing that could not lay out better the sexism that women face in <laughs> politics. Um, there was even a line that uh, it pains me to read this. This is a quote. It's a little weird to watch an old man set out to choose a younger woman to take to the ultimate fantasy suite, the White House, end quote. I was horrified when I read this piece. Yeah. And I'm curious about your thoughts about characterizations that seem to trivialize and even go so far as to sexualize the selection of a female VP. I didn't read the article, so I, but I will now. <laughs> and uh, I feel the same way you do. I mean, you know, Joe's not giving a woman a rose. I mean, this is a major job, major. And she, this woman is going to have to handle all kinds of problems and be a, a governing partner. And it's an important job. And so you're right. I mean, to, to put it in those terms. I was going to say, I, it is interesting, though, sometimes like I feel like in 
Galesburg, Illinois, where I'm from, you know, there's a lot of judgment of women. And I, I felt it myself. I came out as a Democrat to all Republicans during the Clinton administration. And they said, but you don't like Hillary, do you? She was the first lady. She hadn't done anything, right? It's going to be a tricky uh, line for her to walk. Kamala or uh, Susan? or uh, try. (laughs) Or or Karen. Or Karen. You can't slip one over on Dr. (laughs) Biden, okay? (laughs) You know I'm a mom. Like, I'm used to this trying to get stuff over, yeah. It's true. You understand. Well, as we do talk about the seriousness of the platforms in the White Mm -hmm. House, one of the things that you and I are very passionate about, given our connection to military communities and our services, a boost our mom and, and Iraq war veteran myself, there's going to be an entirely new platform for you to embark on should you um, move into the White House. And what does that look like for you? Will you still engage military families? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, Darian, you know how great it was to work together to help military families, you know, to sort of lift them up, to show America, you know, what our military families are really like. And so, as you know, and that we traveled the country, we traveled the world. And so, you know, we're going to work on things like employment and education and and health issues. So I will continue that joining forces movement, you know, day one. And I'm really looking forward to it. And Darian, I hear from so many of the spouses that we worked with and everybody so excited to just pick it up and, you know, run with it. Well, I'm so glad that you are continuing to engage them. I have talked to many of the ones that we used to invite over for dinner or go visit Uh in the hospital, and it meant so much to them now, and knowing that that work would be continued will sit and resonate with them a lot. It's really great sitting here and listening to the passion in both of your voices talking about (laughs) this issue. And I want to ask you, Dr. Biden, you know, obviously there's so many important issues that your husband would take on as president of the United States. But if there was the one that you would say, like, I need him to accomplish this one thing, what would be at the top of your list? Gosh, there's so many. I mean, I can't choose just one. I mean, as a teacher, of course, education is like, you know, really important to me. But look at the things that we need to change. I mean, whether it's, how about uh, gun violence and keeping our kids in our school safe? How about climate change? I mean, you know, if we don't have a safe world to live in, you know, what's the point? Uh, There's just so many things. Uh, Foreign policy, Joe certainly needs to change the direction of this country and how other countries view us. The economy, I mean, jobs are critical, just critical, getting people back to work. So I can't say that there's just one thing because they're all so critically important, you know, at this point in history. You did the bus tour for a free community uh-huh. college, right? And I think that's one thing that a lot of young people do not know, that we were trying to make community college free. And so you could have had access to all of that job training yes. for free. And that's one thing that we absolutely will do. I mean, I, I have no doubt. And we started that in the Obama-Biden administration. We got it into over free community college in, gosh, I think over 400 communities. But that is part of Joe's education plan. And so one thing that will create equity 
in education is to make sure that we have universal pre-kindergarten so that every three and four-year-old starts at the same level, exact same level, and then they can go through, through high school to community college for free so that everybody starts at the same place and has the same opportunity. And um, I think that's the one thing during this pandemic that we've realized about all the inequities that exist. You know, so many areas, whether it's rural America, you know, they don't have broadband. A lot of kids don't have computers or the internet. And so they're falling behind. You know, we have to make sure everybody is at the same place and everybody has the same opportunity. So I promise you, we will have free community college. That's amazing. I mean, truly, when you look back at how they cut education in California, and um, I'm now in California, that Ronald Reagan said it was intellectual curiosities that we were funding. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't think that someone's potential in life and the investment that we make in them is an intellectual curiosity. <laughs> but I'm sure we share that. So I have to ask, because I had this extraordinary pleasure of watching you and Mrs. Obama, two extraordinarily strong women in leadership, uh, whether it was, you know, on the trail for military families or out, you know, working on community college. And I remember back in Iowa when we were driving in minivans with Mrs. Obama and then the changes and morphs on the campaign trail. And when you're successful, Mrs. Obama says, the knives come out. Have you talked to Mrs. Obama and gotten any advice for what's ahead in these next couple months leading up to the election? Well, I got her take on um, when we decided to run and I wanted to sort of get some advice from her. And you know, Michelle, I mean, she is just so warm and loving and, you know, she's always positive and energetic and that's why everybody loves her. You know, your fierce protectiveness has become kind of mm -hmm. legendary. And I know Mrs. Obama <laughs> has a similar protectiveness. So I imagine it might've been along those lines. But, uh, you know, earlier this year, when you literally used your own body to shield your husband at a campaign rally, and, you know, you, you tweeted something very interesting afterwards. You said you can take the girl out of Philly. And I was wondering if you could share a little more about that, because what, what exactly does that mean? Where did that come from? Well, I guess, uh, you know, well, Joe didn't actually see that person because he was speaking to a crowd and I could see out of the corner of my eye, you know, someone coming up the steps and I didn't know what they were going to do. And I think, you know, you're wives and you are mothers and you instinctively just protect those you love. Just, you don't even think about it. And I guess, um, you know, that quote meant that I think Philly girls, I mean, I'm from, you know, outside of Philly. I think they have a lot of grit. Yes. And, yes. Uh, and I think that's a good thing to have. And so we protect those we love, right? Absolutely. I believe in, in L.A. for, you know, Mexican-American in our community, we call it a ride or die, uh -huh. you know? And so I completely identify with that. And I'm curious, how important do you think this ride or die Philly girl sense of protectiveness is for our nation as we're grappling with a pandemic, economic crisis, everyone feeling really vulnerable? If you think of, you know, how you said your husband had his back turned, it's almost as if the nation right now feels like it has its back turned and we don't know what's coming up behind us. So how much is that an important piece of what you guys bring to the table? Well, don't you think part of our roles as women and as mothers is that protective role. I mean, I think it's really the mother who 
you know, is the nurturer taking care of her family and making sure that, you know, there's food on the table, that everyone's healthy. I mean, isn't that our job? So I feel it's really important. I think women play a really important role during this time. And look at how many women are on the front lines taking care of people, making sure that people have food on the table. And so, you know, it's the strength of women. I think our vote is going to matter so much during this election. And I think we're going to carry the day. I have a question because I read the book. In fact, I had Audible at one point. My husband was crying. Both of us were crying during uh, when you were talking about visiting the mother who was sitting at the side of her bed with her son that Mm -hmm. you thought would die and um, later was actually able to come to the Naval Observatory. And it was beautiful. Thank you. I hope people read that because it was just the power of that empathy that you talk about. And you also talk about your mom being sick ahead of the Democratic Convention. Yes. You had to put on a smile and go on stage because we learned to compartmentalize. Mm -hmm. Women, we have to, right, for our kids Mm -hmm. and and even more so. For you on this stage, you compartmentalize. So my question is, what are you compartmentalizing right now? Well, this campaign, of course, I'm compartmentalizing because i that's a role that I have to play every single day, even on weekends. And there are no weekends anymore. It's just, you know, we're out campaigning every single day. And then, of course, I have my schoolwork, you know, because I have to be certified to teach online. So I got up this morning at, I don't know, six something, and uh, I was on my computer doing you know, trying to get my certification. So that was compartmentalizing. And then you have to still be a mother. And, you know, my daughter called me about uh, what she was doing and, and I was trying to help her through something. And then I think we just take those different roles and we just try to create balance in our lives because we have to handle it all. And so I think that's just a strength that I think we develop as mothers and as spouses. But sometimes do things happen where you just want to not smile? Of course. Of course. This campaign has been kind of a little ugly sometimes. Yeah, you know, um, you referenced that day in the hospital, and I have to tell you, it was, and Darian, you know, every Thanksgiving, we brought our military families from Walter Reed to our home and served Thanksgiving dinner, and their families would come. And that particular Thanksgiving, uh, one mother called and said, I can't come. My son is too sick. So after the dinner, I uh, packed up, you know, the turkey and the stuffing and everything. And I went to the hospital to see her. I mean, it was late at night. It was probably 10, 11 o'clock. And honestly, I talked to her and she said, I want you to meet my son. And I sort of, you know, took in a deep breath. And I said, okay. And uh, we went into the room And she stood on one side of the bed and I stood on the other and we clasped hands and she said, can we pray together, you know, that my son will live? And I said, of course. And so there we stood, two mothers in a dark hospital room, praying over the bed of her son. And when I saw him, most of his head was, he had lost it in a blast, an IED blast. And I can remember driving home 
thinking, oh my God, you know, her son is not going to live. But then a year later, when we had that same Thanksgiving dinner, and I saw a kid walk in with a red baseball cap, and I looked at him and I thought, he looks familiar. And then he took off his cap and I saw this, you know, the indentation in the side of his head. And there he was with the, you know, his girlfriend. I mean, that was just so amazing to see that he had lived and that he had come out of it and that here he was continuing on. I mean, that was really, we saw, and Darren, you know this, I mean, we went to Walter Reed Hospital so many times and and met with, you know, members of our military who had lost their legs or lost their arms or both their legs or their arms or they had severe burns. And I'll never forget, Joe walked into one room and that particular, I think it was Army, had lost his, both his legs. And there was a ring above the bed and he pulled himself up and he saluted Joe. Just the power and... The resilience. You know, Darian. Absolutely. Those moments. It's like that freedom that they fought for that we cannot take for granted. Yes. And we know it's those families that stand beside them and those mothers that pray yes. over them. I can't tell you how many. And we, we know yeah. how many times we've walked into a hospital room and prayed with a family. And just the power yes. of faith for them. It's just... it. Those are the moments that I walked away from the White House and held so dear to my heart because I felt like we could be a part of those military families and we will never forget them. Yeah, I felt the exact same way. So, and then, you know, having lost our son, I mean, I certainly, you know, can identify with just how hard that is to watch your child you know, in the bed suffering and um, knowing that you've always been able to make everything okay, and but you always can't. And I think that's why to us, it's so infuriating to take this for granted and not look at what we can actually do together to solve global problems. I mean, this current administration, I said I would never root against the president of the United States. And then to see some of the things that come out of Twitter and out of this White House, it's just painful because America's better than that. And I think that's the kind of leadership that Joe will bring. I mean, that we will not necessarily go back to what was. I mean, there's so many things that need to be changed, but we'll build back better and we will build a better America. You know, one that where there's not so much division and hatred. I mean, I look forward to restoring integrity and dignity to the office. And I think it's so badly needed, you know, and it's all these changes, they all depend on leadership. And that's why it's so important that we change direction. And what you're saying, it strikes such a chord, I'm sure, with so many of our listeners and ourselves. This is the reason why, you know, we put together this podcast to have these conversations because of what's missing. And, you know, hearing you talk about this, you know, it's it feels so great to talk about this in a hopeful way and to talk about where we want to move forward yes. inclusively. And 
I would love to know if you if there's anything you could preview about, you know, your convention speech, we're coming up against a convention and hearing from a leader who can really inspire us is what a lot of Americans are very hungry for. So is there anything you can share with us about what you hope to get across? Well, for my speech, I mean, of course, I think I'm going to focus on women <laughs> and education. I mean, they're certainly my passions. And um, so I think that's what I'm going to talk about. And I know Joe's going to talk about the future and, and bringing hope and restoring dignity and, and building back better and what this new America will look like. You know, the America beginning 2021 when he raises his hand and takes the oath. If you could leave us with one piece of advice that was the best advice someone's given you, what could you leave our listeners with after we've been so inspired hearing from you today? Oh, thank you. Um, gosh, I hope your listeners feel a sense of hope. I think that things are going to change with the Biden administration, and they can be hopeful. You know, we're going to work on the pandemic, try to get us back to normal with, you know, listening to the experts and the doctors, and then move on and make such changes and, um, you know, solve some of the inequities that we see in this country. And so Joe's job is going to be to heal this nation and make change. And so I hope your listeners know that they should hope for the future. Well, I have to say, um, we wanted you we actually were, you know, trying to figure out your schedule and whether this would work for our inaugural podcast. I have to admit that we adore your husband, but we wanted you because we do want to talk that. about the issues that are <laughs> You were our first choice. Like absolutely. We were like, "Oh, should we go to the vice president?" Thank you. <laughs> but honestly, it's because we want to talk about yeah. these issues that are important mm -hmm. to women in a different way because we're so tired of the division and we're so tired of you know the conversations going on we want to talk about the hope for america and you know the night that i speak will be the exact night that women got the right to vote the exact date august 18th yep well we will be listening we oh, will certainly be listening Thanks. and tuning in and cheering for you and dr biden thank you so much this has been a really incredible conversation so and will you come join us again when you're first lady absolutely I'd love right, it. We'll keep you to it. We yeah. look forward to it. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay, we have so much to unpack here. One of the things I thought was interesting about what Dr. Biden was saying, you know, she was talking about all this compartmentalizing and how she has to have these different personas that she's balancing. And I mean, that was one of the moments in the conversation that she seemed to light up the most. What do you think about what she said? I think it's such a challenge for women across the country. We're doing it all right now. We are teachers. We are chefs. We are our children's best friends in some cases. We are working. We are 
trying to achieve all of that while also, you know, keeping off the quarantine 15, staying active, make sure that you meditate, please lean on your faith. We are being asked as a country to do so much right now. And for her to acknowledge that, that it's being asked of her and it's being asked of Americans across the country. It's a lot. And to be a working woman at the same time, she's potentially first lady. Like who knew that Dr. Biden was trying to get certified as a teacher at 6 a.m. while, you know, her husband's running for president. What a strange dichotomy that she's living in. And, you know, I know that's one of the reasons, you know, this is our first episode that we wanted to do this show is that we're all so multidimensional. And that's a lot of times lost in this conversation, right? as, you know, political people, but as, you know, you guys are mothers, as a professional women, as feminine women who, if it's Johanna, is always in forward heels. <laughs> That's not true. So, <laughs> it's not true. You're wearing them right now, though, right? I actually took them off. Okay. <laughs> I left them on the floor and crossed my legs. But yes, I did have them on and they are under my desk. <laughs> But I actually wanted to talk about like, I do think, you know, having the vantage point of scheduling in advance, I don't think that anyone on the outside has any degree of understanding the very meticulous minute that people are scheduled to. And so they literally like go to see someone who is, you know, their family member who's dying and are scheduled to then go to this interview and then scheduled to go to this next, you know, phase. And so it is like when I left the White House, I remember, you know, people thinking that they work extraordinarily hard in the corporate world. And you have to be like very graceful about it and be like, I felt like we had literally been on a rocket ship that we were in outer space. We were like away from our families. We had no life. And they just signed up to do it again because they believe in this country and they believe in things like free community college, health care for people across the country. And I think yeah, I mean, her comments on community college were she oh, yeah. she minced no words there. You know, like she feels very strongly about that and education. I mean, she I know she gave a lot of issues about as her top issues that she would want. Vice President Biden to focus on, but education was the first one. You know, it's very clear that that's something that she's going to be um, pushing for. Well, and pre-K, like that is important. When I was thinking about daycare, public school, all these options, like the division that we sow at our earliest age, at our most vulnerable age is absolutely disgusting to me. Like Ivanka Trump can give me a tax credit or, you know, her dad give me a tax credit to pay more to underpaid women who are working in a corporate center that has for too long undervalued their rights as a teacher. But then, you know, like the truth is our kids who I was paying more than my college tuition to send to this early childhood education system was completely separate from the Head Start program, which, by the way, the Head Start teachers are making more than the private center teachers. It was so messed up. Like This has to be rectified for our kids and for our country. And so for her to take such a strong stance, I think, is extraordinarily important for women. Well, look, and we're up against the school year. And, you know, you two are moms. I'm not a mom, but I, I'm someone who came through as like the first generation to really go to school in a methodical, in the right order, you know, go to higher education and experience what it was like, you know, having to be the scholarship kid, having to be the full student loan kid. 
and how really nothing, my, my job at the White House, my time in politics would never have been possible without that on-ramp through education. And so when you're seeing this, how a lot of kids, especially kids of color, are really struggling right now. And when the school year ramping up, what does that mean for folks that don't have internet access? You know, there's there's so many issues that even though we're, we're hemorrhaging because of the pandemic, if we don't really hold education in a place that we're really putting a lot of time and energy into figuring out how to improve the system now that it's cracked open in such a such a scary way, I mean, we're going to lose potentially a whole generation of young people through this gap in education. Absolutely. And I look at the girls and they're four and six and Dawson has just completed her first year of three-year pre-K and now she's going into four-year pre-K and it is expensive. And we are fortunate that we can afford to pay for that. But I look at the families that are struggling in an an economic climate that doesn't do them any favors and is not providing them the sort of sustenance that they need in order to put their kids through tuition-based pre-K. And my heart goes out to them. And all these families that are looking at going into a new school year, having to figure out for some, I'm in Chicago, it feels like we're scrambling because they've just announced that we're going virtual. So as a working mom, how am I going to balance that with, you know, my child's education? They're high needs kids. They're four and six. So, and I think, you know, families across the country right now are having to make really, really challenging decisions about what their future looks like. And they'll wait until November to find out what their decision is. And that's just, it's heartbreaking. Well, and truly, like when you're looking at, as a mom on the school site council, and like looking at all of the problems that exist, like we we have to reinvest in our education system. And there are big, fierce debates here locally even. The teachers uh, union is having a fight with the school board over the regulations of how much in-person through Zoom education there is. And to be clear, you're talking about Los Angeles because you're in Los Angeles. I'm clear. in Glendale. Mm-hmm. I'm in the suburb of Los Angeles. We have a smaller school board. And so LAUSD finally came to an agreement, but Glendale has not. And so, you know, what's interesting is a lot of these things, like when President Trump says, just turn them back on. It's like, number one, you wouldn't send your kid because these private schools aren't turning on either. And number two, like the truth is here, there are big debates. And I was talking to someone actually who's at Microsoft in education, and she was talking about how pleased she was with the progress Arnie Duncan was making on changing some of the progress for our kids in terms of their fundamental learning of computers and the digital generation that we need. Some of this is forcing those issues, but you need funding. So like the fight here is like, what are you going to do if you have no funding for some of these conversations? And so there is a significant issue ahead of us now, just going back into the fall, but when we're going to get these kids back in. Well, and an issue that significantly falls in the laps of women, right, in our country. So on top of dealing with the pandemic, on top of talking about mental health, I mean, just recently, Michelle Obama shared that she's suffering from low-grade depression. I'm sure a lot of folks can identify with the mental toll that being inside of our homes is taking. And so on top of all those different factors, then also just understanding that it's such a piecemeal approach about which schools are opening and the ones that are opening, what's that going to look like? It's unfortunate. And it's something that can't get lost in the cracks. Again, it just feels like, like just as urgent when we're talking about our country's young people. And frankly, I feel 
I would would feel, I don't want to make it seem like it's fait accompli, but I would feel wonderful knowing that we had a first lady who was an educator, who really prioritized education and community colleges and so on, you know, having that seat, right? Because I just see it as one of the biggest issues right now. It is. And politicians throw this around and then do nothing about it. And what I will say about Joe Biden is anytime we needed to get something done on the Hill, Joe Biden was the one we sent. Okay, so ladies, first of all, great first episode. What an amazing first guest like that. I What a wonderful conversation. And, you know, I know we're starting something this episode that it's going to be a weekly thing. And we're calling it the POTUS of the week, where we want to highlight our POTUS that are doing incredible work, that are using their voices, that are taking a stand, that are just making us all proud as women. And um, we have a very first one that, Darren, do you want to share who our first POTUS of the week is? Our very first POTUS of the week is Meg the Stallion. Yes. She's just overcome so much in the past couple of weeks yes. and has handled adversity with grace and she is rising above the BS and she's just landed as Revlon's new global ambassador. Yes, she dropped winning. a new single with Cardi B. So, you know, go get it, girl. Don't you love it how all of these, you know, congressmen are chiming in on this? And um, women. Having, having somehow stumbled upon this. Video. Somehow, like, somehow, somehow watch the video. On this video. And they're appalled. They're appalled. <laughs> and it's like, you know, you stand up for freedom and yet you want to, you know, judge. And it's always so interesting because we do. We judge women. And so it's not okay. Well, here at Pod as a Woman, we support women owning all parts of their femininity, sexuality, intelligence. You know, we want to own it all. And so she is a great example of, you know, no matter whether or not you're a fan of her music, you really want to respect the way she owns all of who she is unapologetically. And that's what we're about here. She's a quite capable woman. So I think these congressmen can back off. Oh, we also have a sh- We want to do a shout out. And she's on our radar as someone you should know. Yes. Amanda Brown Learman. Happy belated birthday. Amanda is the managing director leading the charge at Supermajority, the bipartisan powerhouse organization working to elevate women's voices in the political space. So please join them for their day of action on September 26th as they celebrate the power of women to change the course of this nation. You know, a lot of the women who are getting stuff done behind the scenes, you know, a lot of times we don't know their names. And, you know, the three of us, like we were all there. We were all in the White House working alongside a lot of the folks um, that people, you know, may know better. And it's important that we make sure that women, people of color, folks that were younger, you know, everyone, you know, who's doing work and who's on the ground, we're able to also talk about them and what they're doing. So we want to make space for that. Well, and that's the problem. It's a cyclical problem. When it's the Clinton administration and afterwards you see, you know, James Carville and you see Paul Begala and George Stephanopoulos and you don't see a lot of the women. And and frankly, when they do get out there, they kind of decide, whoo, this is not very fair to me. And they back off. And we want to change that situation. So I think, you know, like in the Respect, Empower, Include uh, dynasty of our Iowa campaign. She loves to say that, guys. I She's going to be saying that. Respect, empower, include. The, the time. time. Fired up and ready to go. 
I'm just that, saying. Get ready for Johanna to be <laughs> yelling that like pretty regularly. We're gonna we'll flash to back to Iowa, and we're gonna and we're gonna <laughs> flash back to all the extraordinary women who are going to make the world a better place. All right. Well, that is the a wrap for our first episode, ladies. This was so fun. Can we do this every week? Every week. Let's do it. Okay. We even signed a contract too, so we're gonna oh, do it. Also, so we gotta do. We have to do it every week. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, part of this is we'd love to engage with you guys. So, you know, follow us on social media. And also we have a great email set up so that we can interact with you guys and hear your thoughts and any recommendations that you guys want to see on the show. And it's beapodis at gmail.com. So shoot us an email and uh, we look forward to being with you guys next week.